I was fearful of stepping into my power. I was thinking that if I stay passive and if I keep dwelling in my drama, my father will magically show up. So I was staying right there. I wasn't even maturing up. I wasn't willing to mature up. I was sitting back, waiting for him to magically show up. Megan, how are you? Wonderful. Thanks so much for having me on your podcast. Of course. It's a, a true pleasure. And I know I just got a little bit of the full story a few moments ago. Uh-huh. And I'm happy you explained that. But I also like to go into it without knowing too much. And you just kind of surprised the hell out of me, to be honest. So wherever you want to start, I would love to start from there. Where would you like me to start? I mean, tell me about who we're remembering today, which is your father. And I don't know if you want to get into where or how, or his little story of how he passed, and we'll get into it from there. Actually, the one I'm remembering today is me, the real me, because I didn't know who I was until very recently. As long as my father was alive, I was my father's daughter. I had the princess syndrome, which was the princess is always looking for somebody to save her. She is not a decision maker. She follows her father's lead or her husband's lead. So she's always a princess. She's not a queen. I was a princess and my dad was my king. Not only he was my king, he was my best friend and I would follow his lead blindly. As long as he was around, the world was however I wanted it to be. Not because I had created it, because my father was creating it for me the way I wanted it to be. I lost my father on September 11th, 2010 in Iran. We were at home having a nice dinner, a very lavish dinner. We were super affluent. And he got a call that there was an issue at his shopping center, which was he was opening a shopping center, Pormer Shopping Center, the next day. And it was supposed to be, we we had invited all the A-listers and there was a movie theater and there was a restaurant and there was everything, you name it. And Iran is not a country that's very welcoming when it comes to arts and, you know, successful people that are independent. So my father left and never came back. We were told at midnight that he had fallen from the 13th floor of his own shopping center. And by the time we found out about his death, all of our assets were frozen by the government to the point that we had gone from being one of the richest families in the Middle East to not even being able to afford his funeral. And then we had millions of people calling us, trying to find out what happened, and we had no idea. But that's not where my story begins or ends. That's when I realized I don't exist because I had lived through my dad. And I had this idea that I'm going to follow his lead and I'm going to stay as a princess. I was very comfortable being a princess. After all this happened, I went through a decade of looking for him in my subconscious, in every man I would meet, in every, in every person that I could idolize and turn into him in my head. I was looking for that figure. I was looking for that king figure that I could follow blindly so I could go back to being a princess because I learned one really important lesson. When you lose a loved one, you're not losing that person. You're losing a part of yours that was invested in them. And in my case, that part was all of me. 
So after a decade of going through the pain of the princess syndrome, I realized that the lesson of this whole thing was for me to realize that I need to step into my own power and not look for a king, but step into my own kingdom and become queen. That's amazing. (laughs) So it's kind of a loss of identity in some sense? It was a complete loss of identity. It's an interesting take there because you obviously lost your father and someone who was so important to you, but you lost a sense of yourself. I didn't even exist. I was pr- his. I was proudly his daughter, and I was proud to just follow his lead. And I was proud that he was facilitating everything I wanted, and he was making life easy for me everywhere I wanted to go. It wasn't me. It was him. And I thought that's the right way to go. That was the only way. That was all I knew. And when I lost him, I realized that all those people that I thought would loved me, they actually hated me because they were putting up with me because of my dad, not because of who I was, because I didn't exist. I went from being loved and being a popular kid and having everybody, you know, wanting to hang out with me to everybody hating me and asking me for their monies and like all my dad's employees and all of the people that he was working with, which were over thousands and thousands. They were at our doors, breaking our windows and doors saying, oh my God, give me my money. We hate you. And I didn't know who I was. It was the princess suddenly fell off. The one who fell off from the 30th 30th floor was not just my dad. I fell with him. And and then it was, I went through 10 years of being in that hell and then finally climbing my way back up. Now, I'm going to get to how the hell you climbed yourself out of that. But in the beginning, it seemed like, I mean, besides the the manner in which he died and, you know, without getting a lot of answers, correct? Mm -hmm. There's so much to juggle there besides, you know, the you know, the, the loss of your own identity and figuring yourself out, the loss of your father. You had so much, it seemed like drama, I don't know other word to say, of going on your, around and your assets were frozen. Was there a time, was there any moment to really gather yourself about the loss of your father? Did that take time, if that makes sense? Because you had so much going on. Did you feel the proper time to grieve? No. To what, you no. just push it to the side? I pushed it to the side and I pushed myself to the side. That's why it was 10 years of going with the whirlwind. I was just going where the wind was taking me, of looking for him. But I wasn't looking for him. I was looking for myself. And then there was a point where, as I said, I realized I don't exist. I'm already dead. And I'm looking for the dead me. Jeez. (laughs) (laughs) Jeez again. So when you made that realization that you're looking for yourself, did you know that Immediately, or because you said you were looking for him, but you were really looking for yourself. So did it take time for you to realize that you were actually looking for yourself? Ten years. So obviously that, 10 years it took you to realize that, oh, it's me I'm looking for. Correct. And what was there, a trigger that caused that realization? It was when I hit rock bottom emotionally. It got to a point where I could no longer understand my purpose or my reason for being here. And I was sick of myself being a victim of my dad's loss. I was sick of myself telling the story over and over again. I was sick of the fact that I had no identity other than telling people that I used to be a somebody. I used to be somebody's daughter. Because when I moved to America, I went from being a somebody to being a nobody. So I was using this story as a crutch to show people that I used to be an important person. And it was repeating this story over and over again. And then one day I realized I 
I hit rock bottom because I realized without the story, I have nothing else to offer. I think it, it's, it, it was the day when you break down, you, you fall apart, and then that's the first point when you realize that it's time for you to break free. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it's amazing that you actually got out of there because I feel like you had a couple of choices. You could either stay there. I mean, it took you 10 years, but you still made the realization to make that adjustment. So was it just a mental shift? Or was there anything specifically that you did? Besides, when, like when you made that realization, what did you do? Like, you know what I mean? Was there a shift in just your attitude and you just said, excuse my language, but fuck it. I'm just going to get up and, and not sulk in anything anymore. Was this a, cost, a course of action? Or was there anything like you physically did over those years to make to feel better? It was sudden. It was pretty sudden. I think it hit me around his 11th anniversary when I realized that my story is becoming boring for people. I just felt like everyone around me has already heard that. And I, I was running out of new people to tell the story too. And I was so unhappy with my own life. And I was tired of looking for my dad and other people, you know? I was tired of idolizing other people. I was tired of finding somebody that I could follow, like whose lead I could follow. I was hiring people. I was spending money on people. I was getting into relationships to find that person whose lead I could blindly follow that would take me to the destination that would feel authentic to me. And I couldn't find that person. And then I realized it's time for me to go inward. And it was the word introspection that helped me big time. I realized I need to find my father within myself. Isn't that the truth? It's cra it's crazy. I feel like that's such a a big part of life. We're always constant. It sounds cliche, but you're like the perfect example of it. We're always looking outwardly as like whatever's outside of us is going to be the answer. Whether it's money, whether it's a car, whether it's a father figure, whatever X Y Z. When after all that, it's kind of like fresh. It's like comical in some sense because it's, it's always been here the entire time, and it's, it took you ten years to figure it out, but you figured it out. The father I was looking for was within myself. Yeah, the whole time. And I needed to find him. And you found him. I found or him. Or her. Mm, I don't know his gender because I don't believe in, like, genders anymore. Yeah, is it because of this experience or just in general? I think it's all man-made. I think we, de we, de we decided that somebody that looks like this should be called a man and somebody that looks like that should be called a woman. Mm -hmm. It's more of energy. I, I believe saying. in the energy. I believe in the yin, yin, yang. I believe in the masculine and feminine energy. Yeah. But I don't necessarily believe that that should look a certain way in, in, the, word of, in the world of form. For sure. I get you. You I, know? I mean. So then I found him within me. Now that you've got over that hump, is there still, you ever find anything lingering? Because I feel like I'm, I'm 20 years down the road and I still feel like 20 years since my dad died. And I think like there's always things I'm uncovering. So I, especially with grief and loss, it's not something that just I don't I don't I'm not sure it always if it ever goes away. It's something that you kind of grow with and grow around. Do you ever find any things that you're you're still working on today that perhaps when you push it aside 10 years ago, even though you know you conquered the idea of finding yourself, there's still other aspects of grief and loss that you probably have to deal with. Like, is there anything that you feel you just still need to clear, whether it's closure because of a how he died and you just don't even, today you still don't know what the hell happened. Is that weird? I think what I'm working on is really becoming one with him because him is basically, I found him within myself. And as long as there is a separation, as long as I'm looking for closure, I know that's something mental. I know it's not, I know it's in the wor world of my mind, 
it's not in the world of my spirit. So I watch it. I watch, I catch myself still trying to get some closure or find him. And then I catch the train just come in and out. Mm. But I don't jump on it anymore. Jump on the what, on the train on the train of those thoughts. Right. The thought train. I, the, 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 yes, the thought train. I used to jump on it. As soon as it would come to me, I was like, boom, I, I'm on. Now it comes, but I'm staying on the on the side. Right here, watching it. Oh, a part of me, a mental part of me wants to still find closure and all of that. But that's the world of duality. And I don't want to enter the world of duality because it's only in that world my father and I are two separate things. But in the world of spirituality, we're just one. So I just watch the thought go by and I step back. I love that. I, I like the train actually better because one analogy I heard was kind of like looking at a freeway of cars going by. We have thousands and thousands of thoughts and it is important to kind of, I know you said duality, you, you weren't fond of it in some sense, but the idea that we are separate from our thoughts because we get so caught up on it. So once you do hop on that train, then all of a sudden I feel like you're numb to what the hell is going on around you. So it, it's, I, love, I think that's so beautiful that you've found the wisdom and discipline to catch, see those thoughts, notice them but not hop on that train and let it take you somewhere else. I was, ju- I was on huge. that train for 10 years and all it was doing, it was crashing from one place to another. Like we were only crashing. That train crashes constantly. And then when you crash over and over and over again, there is a point where you have a full-on breakdown. And that's the point of your breakthrough. Did you feel any anger or anything of the sort? Like, I feel like there's some, when it comes to loss, there's specific feelings that people feel, even though there's no rules to it. Did you feel any anger towards the loss of your father? It was towards, it was, the anger was always outside of me. It was always towards the others. The others didn't understand me. The others killed my dad. The others froze our assets. The others went, uh, were mean to me. The others asked me for their monies back within five minutes after they told me my dad is dead. The others. But then when I realized those others don't exist, I realized all that anger was towards myself. And it was due to the fact that I was not stepping into my power, that I was standing back wanting to remain as a princess. And the princess is always angry because everybody should serve the princess. But the truth is the princess is angry at herself for not having the courage to step into her own power. Yes, I was, I had my arrow pointed at everybody around me. But then at one point, I pointed that arrow back towards myself to kill the princess. And that was the moment that I felt liberated. It's pretty poetic, actually. <laughs> and do you have anyone to talk? Thank you for being here and you're talking to me, but you don't even know who the hell I am. Was there anyone there along the years, whether it was a decade or when your father passed, that was there for you that you were able to speak to or anyone that you can you know, get some help with? So as I said, it all started when I decided to kill the princess and become queen and step into my power. And the person that held my hand and guided me through every step of it was Dr. Shafali Sabari, which with all my heart, I owe everything I have to her. I owe being myself to her. I owe being born to her. She was the one that showed me who I really am. And the separation from my father is nothing but a duality in the world of form. Dr. Shafali, thanks to you. 
Sign me up. <laughs> Jeez. Was a, I don't want to call that an advertiser, but that was fantastic. I can't I can't help it. Can I, I can to. I ask any trade secrets from this from your doctor? Like was did, what yeah. was her method or Yeah, 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 yeah. She has this method of mixing uh Western psychology with Eastern mindfulness. Okay. Is that where the the yin and yang and the duality Correct. comes from? Okay. Correct. I knew there must be somebody out there who would understand what I'm saying, but I couldn't find that person. As I said, I was sick of finding that person that would become my father. I was sick of that person that would that could become my king that I could follow. And when I met Dr. Shafali, she said, the one who died wasn't him, it was you. The one who is going through the duality is not you is the world of form, and you're using that as an excuse to remain as a princess. Forgive me if I'm completely misunderstanding this. Is that the ego, or is it like, is it just a different person? It's not, when you say it's not you, it's just a persona that you created, aka the princess? Um, I say it's your fears more than anything else. I was fearful of stepping into my power. I was thinking that if I stay passive and if I keep dwelling in my drama, my father will magically show up. So I was staying right there. I wasn't even maturing up. I wasn't willing to mature up. I was sitting back, waiting for him to magically show up. Do you think your doctor's approach of understanding and was was that the approach that made you open up? Because you said you were kind of looking for someone that maybe not felt the way you felt or just some kind of correlation to how you felt and you found this doctor and was was that the approach that worked for you? The fact it that she understood? deconstructing of what I was going through. So breaking, layer by layer. Like onions. Yeah, like an onion. Exactly. It was peeling it layer by layer by layer. Understanding, okay, the first layer, I was angry at everybody for doing what they did to me. But why was I angry at them? Because I wanted everybody to serve me and be nice to me. Why? Because that's how it would have happened if daddy was around. That's brilliant. It's just a d- deduction one by one. You feel this because of Correct. that, this and that, and eventually Correct. you get to the Correct. source. And once you get to the source, the source is nobody but you. And it's scary to look at those layers because you make realizations about yourself that I feel like we kind of know, we know subconsciously, obviously, but once you start breaking that down, it's, oh, you feel vulnerable. It was so scary. It but was then you feel so like, scary. A, oof, like a relief, right? Yeah, but there were days when I was so scared. I was feeling like I'm walking in a jungle full of snakes and dragons. And oh, Jesus. It was really scary. Those were all the layers I didn't want to acknowledge or see or admit to. But now it's freedom. Now I have my closure because I have the closure within myself. That's brilliant. And does that kind of teach you lessons for moving on for life? Like even outside of lost grief and what you've experienced, I feel like those are lessons that stick with you, whether you go through stuff and work or relationships from moving forward, that deduction method. Because I feel like constantly people are either relying on drinks or this or that or just escapism to avoid what they feel. But that what you're telling me right now is literally, I think, is is the answer. I don't know the answer, but if I were to guess, is that deduction of going, why this, then that, then this, then that, uh, to get to the source and not put a Band-Aid on it. Let me tell you something. Imagine you you have a bleeding wound, right? And you put a Band-Aid on it. But then somehow, 
somebody brings a microscope to you and they show you that the the wound that you're seeing is actually a very, very big tear inside of your heart and it's going to kill you. And you can put 100 Band-Aids on it or a million, but eventually it's going to kill you. And you see the lesion, you see that tear in your heart with your own eyes. You are screwed from that moment on. You know why? Because you can no longer fool yourself with Band-Aids because you know you're fooling yourself. That's the thing with deconstruction of emotions. You can no longer use alcohol or drinking or anything else to, to, to suppress it because you know you're fooling yourself. You've seen it with your own eyes what the actual issue is. So if even if you try to numb yourself with other things, you're like, oh, but I'm fooling myself. And nobody likes to fool themselves. I think people that do that get caught in like substance abuse or they use other things to numb their emotions, a part of them is still not present to the actual depth of the wound. They haven't seen that microscopic view of what's going on within. Because once you saw it, oh my God, you have no choice but going deep in and really sewing that wound and stopping the bleeding at the source. <laughs> okay. okay, another po- that was another poetic explanation. But in, in, in regards to go, like, t- you said a second ago how hard it was like going through the, the forest of snakes and dragons of really you know, feel like understanding what the hell's going on inside, how terrifying that is. So it's almost like that, that's what we're avoiding, but, but by avoiding, you're causing so much more damage to yourself. So when you're, th- like when you're doing escapism and not just putting band-aids on, it's just a quick fix and you're not actually dealing with the problem, but it's so kind of paradoxical that we think we're doing this to protect ourselves by avoiding what the real issues are, Correct. but we're actually damaging ourselves even further. Correct. It's actually the same analogy of just rip the bandit off quick. It's kind of like that too. It's, it's, it hurts. Like it hurts when you rip it, but once it's ripped and you deal with the, what's going on, what's actually wrong, you're healed forever. So it's like these quick little fixes. We think that, I don't know if that's a society in general with these, you know, seven second attention spans. It kind of relates to our emotions, our, our emotional capacity, but we definitely have to address what the issue is and not take an Advil. Deconstruction is all I'm going. I'm all about because, as I said, unless you see that microscopic view of the source of the wound, you cannot have the courage to go through the you know the jungle of dragons and snakes. Because once you see the source, ripping off the bandaid, putting it on, all of that, none of that matters anymore. You don't even feel any pain. You're like, I gotta fix that freaking wound at its source. I have to go and, if I have to go and sew it myself, I'll go sew it myself. Especially with loss and death. I mean, in the, in the moment of pain, it's, it's all you see is like, you're kind of like in a traffic, I was, I guess I had on yesterday, she was talking, it's like, I'm like a traffic jam. Like you don't see where the traffic breaks out, you know, X amount of cars in front of you. All you see is this traffic jam right in front of you and it seems impossible to get out of there. So in the moment, like what we're saying is definitely easier said than done. But like you said, it took you 10 years. And, and I, I'm 20 years in and I'm still like, you know, I feel much better and much more confident, but it, t- it takes time. And people always say, you know, time heals, but I don't, I don't think it's so much time itself that heals. I think it's the time we have to heal ourselves, if that makes sense, where it's not actual time that heals you, but it's the time that you took 10 years to make the realizations and make the changes. And in the moment, it just seems so hard. It's like so much easier said than done what we're talking about because it's all you see is darkness in the moment. It's like, I can't get out of this, but it's that shift in mindset that you had mm-hmm. that I truly believe anyone can attain. And anyone, and we all have the ability to do that. It's just, that's why it's so important to have a conversation with someone like you 
that had that epiphany, had these moments that got out of a place that you didn't want to be in. And I think, you know, getting this out there to people that are, there's people that are probably going to be listening right now that are in that place that they feel like this is where I'm going to be at the rest of your life. So I think if there's ever more of a pure example of getting out of that, it's you. I think it's all about really sticking your finger in the wound. Unless you do that, you're wasting your life not finding who your authentic self is. You will only find your authentic self once you're willing to go as deep as you possibly can into your pain and deconstruct it, and then you break free. Then you step into joy, and you realize that all these years you've been in hell. I think I was in hell for 10 years, actual hell. And I think heaven and hell, it's basically it's this shift in your mindset that can make you swing from one end to another. And there I, there was definitely a moment when my pendulum was stuck in hell and I was like, okay, so it doesn't get worse than this. So I may as well try the other side and see what'll happen. Yeah. It doesn't get worse than this. Some people don't do that even. Some people stay there even with that realization. Allow yourself to have the breakdown. Allow yourself to hit rock bottom. That's key. I hear these similar things to what you're saying, all like the great minds and great even books I read and people that have conquered, you know, emotional trauma is a lot, like you just said, is allowing yourself to feel. And I think that's something I've struggled with was just like pushing it away, not dealing with it, but allow, like, kind of like the train, like you acknowledge that that's an emotion, let's say you acknowledge it and allow yourself to feel it, allow yourself to break down as opposed to pushing it away or fighting it or trying to fix it even. And I feel like that maybe that's what happened to you. You let yourself, you got to that point, you felt it, you acknowledge it, and then you just took off. I think one thing that we have to remember is that healing from a painful experience or healing from a trauma is not just about healing from that particular trauma. It allows us to become true to who we are, and then we, then we become direct manifestors. Then that's the time that everything you want comes to you. Because if you are so caught up in your trauma, you don't actually know who you really are. All you do is struggle, 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 struggle. You want, you want certain things in your life, but you're struggling because all of your energy is being wrapped up in that trauma and you can't even live your true self, your true authentic self. So you can't even manifest what you want. Because your energy is focused on one small compartment. It's compartmentalized as opposed to being out there, attracting what you want. Correct. And that trauma by itself is not allowing you to be authentic to who you are. Because if you deconstruct the trauma, you get closer to your inner core, to your essence. Once you're in your essence, then you don't even have to have your vision board to manifest. You, you manifest by just thinking about things. So you're not only you're not only dwelling in that trauma, forget about that. That's a small part of the issue. You are keeping yourself away from having the life that you want. That was the part that motivated me. Maybe that's selfish, but there was a time when I felt like there are a lot of things I want in my life. And I used to be a manifester when my dad was alive. What happened to that? Why am I struggling? Why is it taking so long for me to get to the things that I want? Why is there resistance I realized, well, I didn't realize, Dr. Shefali made me realize that as long as I'm putting all my energy into that trauma, I'm not aligned with my essence. So if I'm not aligned, how am I going to manifest the things I want? So we say resistance is not aligned, just, just 
alignment. Like, if you're talking like chakras and energy and energy centers, or just in general, just your essence, just your who, essence. You, who you know you actually are deep, deep, deep mm. inside. That's something that only you know. You know who you are. You know how you are aligned with your with your essence, yeah. not with your ego, with your essence. And only you know that. Only you know that. Yeah, it's important. And then, and then it it, it it's important to remember. That, yeah, dwell on your trauma. Dwell on your trauma and drama and all of that and stay there and use it as a crutch and be the victim as long as you want. Not a problem. You are keeping yourself away from manifesting the dream life that you can have. Now pick. Boom. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I'm happy I didn't ask more questions before we started because, like, I felt felt your alignment. Even though only you know, I felt your alignment at the end of there. So, Megan, thank you so much for for sharing that. I don't know if there's anything you want to drop at the end, whether if you got anything going on you want to announce or how to find you or anything you want. The mic is yours. The Megan Pormer Show on Fox LA every Tuesday morning. I always bring a nice group of people. We talk about everything from the newest technologies, from healing traumas, anything fun, adventurous, please tune in. The Megan Pormer Show every Tuesday morning on Channel 11, Fox LA. Megan Pormer, everyone. Thank you again. And uh, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Dead Talks. Dead Talks.